the Red 78. The most important thing was the intensity and the mentality to go after the game. As a coach, why did he only give away nine penalties this week? Available every Wednesday. Don't miss a moment of action. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now then, you're very welcome along. So, very happy to say Mr. Ian McKinley is in studio, played for Leinster, Zebra, Benetton, Italian International, a new book written with Jerry Thornley, Second Sight, Rugby and Redemption. You're very welcome. Joe, good to see you again. As always, a pleasure. So, uh, I mean, it's it's always a big undertaking and, and Jerry Thornley, I know, uh, great to get him involved. Why was this something that you really wanted to commit to paper and write about? Because you've always struck me as relatively private-ish and, and uh, low-key in many ways and you're opening yourself up a touch here. Yeah, it's, a, it's certainly a strange experience, very therapeutic, if I'm to be honest. Um, now, it has taken a while to put everything uh, down on paper, but... I think it's just important to share the story because it is quite a unique one Uh, and I just ultimately hope that people take something from the story and show that if you do have a setback in life and mine just happened to be along the rugby path that you you know that you can achieve what you want to achieve and you need a little bit of luck and help along the way but uh, things can be achieved so again like I hope people take something from it. When you say therapeutic, just hit me when you said that. Did you ever go to therapy about this ordeal and this trauma? Funny people have been asking me like whenever it happened, you know, because mental health is such a buzzword at the moment and or, you know, a couple, you know, uh, such a buzz thing at the moment. No, never. Like it was never a, a thing. Do you need to speak with someone when it happened? It was just I was very much of the opinion of like just keep working and get throw yourself into as many things as possible so that you didn't have to think about it. Yeah. Um, but no, since since the book has come out, everyone has started to ask me about that. Yeah. But no, never, never have. I guess it was 2010, which is not a lifetime ago. But I think, as you said, the conversation around mental health has even accelerated massively in the last decade. Perhaps if it had happened today, you might have been told, well, you should go and speak to someone, but who knows what the right answer is. Yeah, potentially, and who knows if, if it would have helped or, or not. But I suppose as experience has gone on, probably the way I dealt with it was, I mean, there's different ways you could have gone about it. Probably was not a very effective way, but I think ultimately, you know, it was a traumatic thing, even yeah. though I do know it is not the worst thing that can happen. But to me, at the time, uh you know, having your eyeball burst and then ultimately losing your sight uh, through a rugby in- injury, yeah. like that's uh, your sort of dreams are dashed and everything like that. So it was, it was definitely seen as a death in our family. Ultimately, oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. We'll get into the story in a moment, but I suppose as I, I'm sure you've been thinking about it over the last couple of days as you've seen the book uh, thrown out into the public and you've you've talked about it with various people. What effect do you think the whole mad, awful ordeal the last 12 years what effect do you think it's had on you as a person how do you think it's shaped you yeah, it's a pretty good question Joe you've gone in pretty heavy on yeah. that on that one well but you were it, only 20 when it happened so yeah, you know um, well certainly there's negative and positive things so the negative things would be you know driving is difficult particularly in Ireland here on the different side of the road in Italy it was actually easier because you had it was just easier being on the other side of the road there uh, being in busy places so airports uh, shopping centres would bump into people quite a lot and yeah your skill set is put under huge uh, amount of pressure in terms of uh, your depth perception being left footed kicking off your left foot sometimes not seeing the ball Mm. goggles being an issue and all that sort of stuff 
positive side of that was got to experience a different culture of rugby, um, which was fantastic. Also difficult. Um, you just got to experience the different side of of, uh, of life and rugby in that sense. And then been having got involved in different projects. Um, I think as a professional rugby player, you know you're very privileged to be in that position. But you were in a, you're in a very small percentage in the global mm. rugby uh, market, as it were. And now to um, been able to experience visually impaired rugby mixed ability rugby the other side of side of it uh, has been very fulfilling now whether that would have happened be, because of the injury I don't know but uh, so I'd say that there's positives and negatives definitely mm. it's interesting when I ask you there what effect do you think it's had on you uh, on a pres- as, as a person you went for that the superficial stuff mm-hmm. whereas what I'm wondering is yeah. this had the potential to make you angry bitter resentful um, maybe a, a more complete person a more spiritual person on 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 that maybe mm. deep deeper level. Do you think it's had any uh, profound effect on you, or would you be a pretty similar person? Um, no, it it of course it has. Yeah. Um, I think if I wasn't able to uh, experience the six years with the goggles uh, through you know the lower ends of Italian rugby up till uh, international, if I didn't experience that, the mm. highs and lows of what it was to be a true professional even though I was training as a professional growing up through Leinster and Irish under 20s and all that but to try and create your own path if I didn't have that I'd be immensely bitter and I was bitter um, probably not a very nice person to be around in terms of short snappy responses um, when I retired mm. um, and you know probably my family friends my girlfriend now wife probably bear the brunt of that Uh and that's not the type of person that you want to you want to be, and you don't want people to be around you uh, in 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 that scenario. So, uh, thankfully, that didn't happen yeah. uh, because I I could see it as a snowball effect, and that's probably why I ended up having a, a breakdown with my brother because it was just all this build up of of emotion, and for that I can never sort of uh, repay him and my family yeah. uh, but ultimately I think it shaped me in a, in a good way because you, you experience different things how, how could it not yes you know? yeah the book jumps right in let's not dance around the book like let's let's mm-hmm. let's address what happens and it does that straight away so January 2010 you had just turned 20 the previous December so you're, you're, you're still a kid really and it's UCD against Lansdowne and even the way you describe it it's so um sudden you know I guess that's the the mad thing about so many life-changing moments car accidents something like this it's just so sudden and unexpected and you just say uh, on the ground something catches your face and boom left eye everything's black and then there is the sentence as you referenced a moment ago standalone sentence my eyeball has just burst so that's a shocking moment there's a trip to Vincent's where your brother Philip is told Ian's just lost his eye Mm mm-hmm and he tries to stay calm in amidst that awfulness. And so it's, well, we need to get over to the Eye and Ear Hospital. And on that drive, you decide to have a look at it in the car. I can't say I would have. I understand the grim curiosity, but you said, um, I need to have a look at this, much to the horror of Philip and anyone there saying, mm. please don't look at it. Is that memory fairly etched on the brain? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the reason I wanted to look at it, so I'm fairly matter of fact, whether it's good or bad. Uh, I think the reaction from the other patients in Vincent's um, made me decide to do it because there was shock in their faces. You can imagine I'm there, my brother, you know, he's got his arm wrapped around me. 
I've got the you know the big rugby jacket. I've got my UCD kit on. Still have my boots on. So you're clank 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 yes. across the you're turning heads to begin with, pretty much. Um, and you just have these people like I'm. I'm not joking. Turning and looking at you or stopping what they're doing and looking at you because the eye you can physically see. Obviously, my eye is very cloudy now. Yeah. As time has gone on, but it was a heck of a lot worse than what it was and out of its socket and all that sort of stuff. So. It was just that curiosity of just making sure I knew what I was dealing with. Uh, and my response, um, which I have put in the book, you know, was very blasé. And I think obviously mum had been in the car as well because she came to pick us up, yeah. was was sort of horrified at how blasé I, I was. Maybe that was because I was so young. I don't know. You don't really appreciate the severity of, of what's happening. It struck me as total shock. Probably. I don't think you were processing what you were saying. No, and I think when I saw the junior doctor in the eye and ear, like I really felt sorry for her because she took one look and was just like, I'll be back in a minute. Yes. Like clearly had no... <laughs> there was a real, this is above my pay grade moment for her. And I felt really bad for her, like really did. But then I think that shock turned into sadness then when you're just left alone and you're left with your own thoughts. And when you're talking about the suddenness of everything, like you were suddenly now brought down to your knees like you're suddenly here now in uh, a hospital room and it was still dark like they didn't turn on the lights or anything so you're just literally sitting in the dark like wondering for what 45 is, minutes yeah, yeah wondering what is going on here um so yeah it just it, everything happens so so quickly yeah uh, surgery happens it's four hours it's um an ordeal obviously and a couple of things in the immediate aftermath one the video of the incident is reviewed and it turns out that the stud belonged to one of your teammates, which is a relief. You didn't want, I suspect, the never ending suspicion of, well, was that deliberate, which would mm -hmm. be trickier, I suppose, to park and leave behind. Massively. And we were really relieved because, you, I mean, for anyone that's played rugby, you know the difference between a full on stamp and a backwards motion. You know, rucking obviously is not as to the front now as, as previous years but you definitely get a, a sense of what the action the, the differences of the action is so thankfully there was a blue sock um, and um, we later found out you know who it was and all that sort of stuff so um, he wrote you a letter yeah he was very gracious and came to visit me I don't know if I would because I mean he's also been put in a tricky situation and he's probably sick to death <laughs> of, of hearing the story at this stage you know and, and he has to carry that I suppose as well with him but uh, that's just part of the story and he he showed a lot of courage in what in what he did um, but again I was I think my family thought I should scream or shout at him and mm. Again, whether it was just the not processing part of the whole thing, but, uh, you know, it was just when you're injured, you just try and get back as quick as possible. Leinster is so competitive and you're in the era of Contaponi had just gone. Johnny's obviously on the start of his incredible yeah. path, even though he'd played before, but he would just, you know, um, his trajectory just was, was, he was just moving up so quickly yeah. uh, and, and everyone else coming in. So you just couldn't waste time um, you couldn't waste time and you just needed to get back as quick as possible and that honestly was my mm. my thought process and I guess you've never seen the video of the incident is there any sense that your teammate while he absolutely was not trying to injure a fellow a teammate was careless does that keep you up at times 
Uh, yeah, well, I mean, people ask, do you wish it never happened or, or, or you know, how do you do you feel to wish it never happened? I mean, I can never give a definitive answer about that. Was it clumsy? Yeah, of course. Um, but everything is such a split second. Like you're, you're talking about a ripping motion from one side to on your back to then his foot connecting with a face stud with an eyeball. How many times do you see players coming off with cuts above their eye, under their eye? And it just so happened that this time it yeah. just went a little bit further. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it probably, I mean, it was clumsy. Um, How quickly did you get from um, the why me stage to the what you've just outlined, which that can happen and it's unlucky? Because the, you're entitled to a fair degree of how I think, bloody unlucky was I? I think I went straight away to that. So I didn't feel any why me. It was the why me later on okay. so when I retired and moved away to Italy um, and all that sort of emotion was building up and being sort of powerless to not compete and see other guys winning matches and um, earning caps and winning trophies and all that sort of stuff that was the stuff that I wasn't in control of Yeah, uh, and that really hurt your recovery from that initial awful moment is really very good, mm-hmm. especially when you think that your brother was told at Vincent's, well, the vision's gone, the eye's probably gone. So it surprises everybody, it pleases everybody. You are absolutely militant about sleeping upright, putting in your drops. You just follow everything to the letter of the law. And and you do get back. You are part of Leinster and, and you've been given a full Leinster Academy straight out of school, which was... Um, not something afforded to many leaving cert students, not least from a school like St. Columbus, which doesn't have massive rugby uh, pedigree. And so you're you're in amongst it. Joe Schmidt is your coach. You are training with these guys mm-hmm. again with where were you then? 70 percent vision, would you say, in the eye? So, yeah, whenever I got back, which was six months after the injury, got 50 yeah. percent. So that what that would have looked like was you could see blurry figures, you know, um, but that then generated to outlines of players um, but you know it was still very very hazy but yeah. I got up yeah about 70 70% throughout the season yeah which was remarkable I, and, and again you're around such legends like at one point you're, you're there's a little paragraph dedicated to just how damn good Eason Asaway is on every front it won't surprise anyone it's not no. breaking news but you even say if uh, maybe you were quietly to get Joe Schmidt and ask him who's the best player you coached you, you had a, have a stab that it might be Nasewa like um, unbelievable player like so natural he could play any position his his mind just worked in a different way um, always usually made the right call been fortunate enough to play with him and against him jeez you'd much rather play with him like <laughs> honestly and I think now that you know whenever you've you've left or you've stepped back a bit to realise the, the calibre of, of, of player that you were with at the time there like really fortunate to have to have played under coaches like Czech and Schmidt and to have O'Driscoll and Sex and all these Rocky Elson when he was there like I mean that's you know fairy fairy tale stuff but you were in that environment to compete and to compete for posi- for positions so yeah. as I said this was a huge um, speed bump that needed to be uh, got over pretty quickly it's interesting as well that in that period there you're you're at the um, centre of gouging incidents and there's one exchange where uh, somebody has a finger near your eye and your teammates all rally around and one of them shouts, you know, don't, do you not know what's happened to this guy? Mm-hmm. And his response was, well, I broke my leg last year. You don't hear me complaining about it. So some real gents out there who really welcomed you back Wonderful. into the fold. <laughs> that was my third game back as well. So, you know, um, yeah, I suppose 
That's Re- a the reason. The reason. Disgrace. You know, there's no other word for it. It's an absolute disgrace, yeah. and you don't you don't want that in the game. And you know, um, I felt it was really important to, to have that in the in the book because that is the reason ultimately how or why you use the goggles. I mean, people did think the goggles enhance your vision. They help with certain elements. They certainly didn't. Mm. But it was just to have that protection to make sure nothing happened to my right eye. You don't want any boots, you know, any more studs flying in that area. You don't want any fingers going near that area. Yeah. So it was just to, to stop that. But that incident, yeah, was um, was terrible. Would not wish it upon anyone. And uh, my teammates rallied around me pretty quickly. Um, yeah. and, and it was just sort of done. That was it. So as you're... Um in and around the Leinster fold, and you're you're playing a couple of games here and there, and and your uh, your vision is coming back. Ultimately, there's a detached retina, and mm-hmm. and the sight in your eye can't be saved, and that that doesn't seem to happen from an incident. That's just you're on a weekend away with some friends, and it just happens in the car. Would you have uh, been told or had the sense that there's a ticking time bomb here, and you you are definitely going to lose sight in your left eye, or at that stage were you pretty optimistic? So what I was always told. Uh, from the surgeons that a cataract would develop. So that was a guarantee. Uh, So that came about, uh, was it about, say, 14 months or so? That's a rough rough guide um, after the initial accident. So cataract, most people think it's quick. Local anaesthetic, 15 minutes. You're in and out, onto the next patient. Because my eye had burst, you're dealing with a different type of eye different size it's sort of a bit more complicated so I had a couple of surgeries which just didn't there was a huge amount of blood in the eye as well that was just was resting it just didn't move blood flow for whatever reason just wasn't working like it should do so it just the vision just wasn't improving at all so it was just a random weekend away with friends and and you know the doctor I you know had numerous conversations to make sure you're going back um, in as safe a manner as possible. I think it was strange for them as well because it's not really an injury that to my knowledge anyway had had happened so in some ways there they had to be sure that I was confident and comfortable and that we were doing the right thing and and the, you know every stage was 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 followed with uh, immense accuracy and and you know I didn't want to go outside the parameters because it's because it is so delicate. So, yeah, just that random weekend away in Galway and then, yeah, next thing, just black. And it was always told if that happens, get in as quick as possible. And then, yeah, ultimately, the surgeon, the retina specialist was speaking to my parents. And the reason I was saying that the book was quite therapeutic is that there's things that I didn't find out. So you mentioned Philip. I didn't know he was told. The doctor in St. Vincent said, that eye is gone. I didn't know. My parents were told Ian's sight is gone the night before, but because I was in post-op, I couldn't be told. You know, all those certain things. So you're sort of discovering things along the way that you didn't necessarily know, maybe, you know, to be protected. But ultimately, the surgeon said it was like, um, you know, performing a surgery on wet tissue paper that you you just couldn't... Nothing to work with. Nothing to work with. So that was, yeah, dreams and aspirations of making a full recovery, like which didn't make a full recovery, but pretty close. Yeah. Um, you had all that hopes, and aspirations, and ultimately, yeah, pretty, pretty... Uh, Devastation. Yeah. As, as an aside, when you're um, chatting with your family and as part of this book to glean what you can from, from the time, are the conversations kind of casual and, oh, I didn't realise that, and kind of, you know, light, or have they been quite heavy? 
both kind of upsetting yeah I think it's more difficult for uh, certainly my mum been very difficult for her she she found it very very hard um, but you're a father now or can you imagine yeah you, you definitely can I can see if, if my son now if that happened and he wanted to go back I'd be I'd have a lot of reservations mm. um, but they knew that's just what I wanted to do and mm. uh, you only sort of get one well I got two I suppose cracks at it but um, you really just got to give it your all so um, no I would say both on, on, on that front like I mean, there's some light hearted moments when you know dad brings the wrong <laughs> brings a toothbrush for a child and you know you try and mix it up a little bit but that's you, you're, I'm trying to be as open and honest as yeah. there were light hearted moments but then there were the very serious um, you know hand in your head sort of moments yeah I mean one of the, I think in some ways one of the, the saddest moments of the whole ordeal is after this news and the site's gone and it's not coming back and you know retirement is imminent you go into Leinster anyway and you get your the season photo shoot which is mm-hmm. obviously the start of the season everybody gets their their pen picks for the year and even though you knew you were not going to be part of that year you say well I'm I'm going in I'm putting on the jersey I'm getting the photo so there's I think a lot going on in that yeah and I probably still don't know why but I I mean I just wanted to have that was when I was fine or signed as a full professional mm-hmm. so you know, Leinster had two Heineken Cups, the two stars in the jersey, and it was a new season. And but I could definitely feel when I went into Riverview, where we were based at the time, um, lads just probably felt a bit of pity for you. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a feeling that has sort of stayed with me. Now, that's not a criticism in any way. That just was a natural feeling. Um, pity, I'm sure guys, pity, not the appropriate. Well, pro- you know, I mean... I just, I just wanted the photo. Like, I just wanted yeah. to go, well, here's Ian McKinley. He made it as um, a professional rugby player and he made it with Leinster's his home province and one of the best teams in Europe. Yes, full Some contract. The, yeah, like, I mean, that's stuff of dreams and worked my ass off to get it, mm. you know, and I wasn't going to, you know, I wasn't going to let it go easy. So that's why the decision to retire at 21 was excruciating and yeah. one of the hardest things you're ever going to do. But like the eye was so sore thinking that, you know, playing with one eye at an elite level was difficult and the gouging incidents, they were sort of the three things that all came back to me as to why it probably wasn't the wisest thing to go back to. Yeah. I half wondered, did you smile in that photo? I don't think you smile anyway. Okay, it's, the, a, it's a stern, I'm a tough it's Blair a pretty look. stern, okay. yeah. It would yeah. have been hard to muster a smile, I would have thought. Yeah, and my eye was sort of, like people say to me, you wouldn't notice your eye, but I certainly do. It's 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 gammy, like it's it's red and eye, the eyeball is skewed and after you know, most recent surgery. So it's obvious that something has, mm. you know, recently taken place, but... Again, it was just to have that new Leinster jersey on. You're part of the senior panel, and yeah. you would have been in the the program for the year <laughs> as a as a first team player rather than an academy. Did you feel uh, self conscious about how it looked? Was that difficult? Did you? Uh, no, it actually looked fine. It yeah. looks a lot worse than it is now. But um, you know, kids can be can pretty can be in your face as well, and you sort of have to learn to adapt to certain responses. You can maybe make up cool sort of stories that you were fighting a great white shark in South Africa yeah. or something like that. But it's a uh, it's a good conversation starter as well. <laughs> I often find. Um, but 
listen, I got a, a fake eye cover for my wedding because I said I didn't want to look at photos of uh, a guy with a gammy eye in my wedding photos. Right. But now that I'm married, I don't really care anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't yeah. have to impress. We're all in decline anyway. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then the Italian experience comes and you take a coaching job and, and there's a certain enjoyment in it. But there's there's a... I suppose a build-up of what you've been talking of what you're talking about and describing the sense of loss, the why me, the I think from from reading the book, it seemed like the reality of your situation started to really sink in. And uh, your brother Philip, who we mentioned, and his partner Julie came to visit you. And it's um, a train journey, and you're not in great form anyway. It's one of the reasons you're taking the train because you're too grumpy to drive and. You do that natural thing, which you check your phone and you see Wasps 28, Leinster 48 in the Heineken Champions Cup. And what's more, it's a whole bunch of your contemporaries who are doing it for Leinster in Europe. And to underline it all, it's Ian Madigan with 28 points and your careers have paralleled each other. You've known each other a long time. It's a good relationship, but it's also a rivalry. And here's Ian getting 28 points and you're stuck in a train on a trip you don't want to be on. And and it, I think it probably hits you then. I've got like twelve more years of this of like these guys doing it for Leinster. I'm I'm like trapped. This is torture. And and it's on on that walk subsequently that afternoon with your brother where it's it's just a breakdown that I'm I'm not coping with this. I think mm-hmm. you hit the nail on the head that it's it just felt like this pressure was just building the whole time. And you know whether. Um, because I hadn't seen my family in a little while. Philip just happened to be the one because he's the closest one to me in, in terms of age and my family. Whether that was the reason, I don't know. But I think you, you hit the nail on the head with another 12 years of this. Yeah. Like you just, you can't keep going on being angry every weekend when the team has been picked, the team plays and almost potentially being happy when the team doesn't do well. Whether that's an Irish team or a Leinster team or whatever. Mm. That's not a healthy way to live. And that's, the guys that you know were in my age category they're going on to do you know create their own path and they're performing really well and and as you said like I'm stuck here learning about James Joyce and Trieste like it's not what I want to do I want to be there on a Saturday afternoon you know bumps and bruises playing a game of rugby um, so probably yeah that's it was, it was just a combination of things and I don't even know if it was that game but when I look back now at the, the actual uh, who was playing on, on the team I think it, it you know, it, it makes sense because there's so many of the guys that I was growing up with and had played with, like, you know, Leo Cullen and Issa and all these guys. And you go, well, that, you know, could have been me. It should be me. Yeah. And it was nothing ever against Ian. Like, Ian's a fantastic player. He's gone on to do good things. and uh, But it de- definitely hit home more just because we'd played Gaelic football together at such a young age. And it just was so close. And then I think my brother said it to me and, like it was so true as well like Joe was going to go on to be Irish coach so then you're seeing it at a different level all together at international stage and you're just going I, I, I can't deal with it so whether it was just a whole snowball effect uh, happened um, but it definitely wasn't just that game but no, you know it, 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 it just yeah, yeah yeah but thank God I did cry and break down in front of him because that's what he needed my brother needed to see in order to to help me because I wasn't going to say anything and so he I mean he does a great thing he starts well let's initiate let's look into every avenue we can and, and you come up with the goggles and uh, you take baby steps and it seems to 
seems to work. And as you said, it's protective. Like people mm-hmm. could have from afar have thought, is, is the uh, prescription? Is there stuff going on there? This It was purely protection. You still had no sight in, mm-hmm. in your left eye. Um, like you do say, it's it's, ama- uh, it's interesting you say, well, during my career, I was asked all the time, well, how do you play with vision in one eye? You're like, well, I'm not going to tell you the truth because no coach in his right mind will pick me if I tell you how bad it is. Yeah. I guess you're free to talk about that now. Like one thing that jumped out at me, you're a left footed number 10. You've lost the vision in your left eye. And you say that your favourite and most effective kick is the spiral. Yeah. And yet, when you're dropping the ball on your foot, sometimes you can't see the ball. Mm-hmm. And that's not good. I'm no expert. Yeah. But that's not ideal. Sometimes. Yeah. And in a way, it's, it's worse that you don't know when you will and when you won't. Well, I mean, it's because things happen in such an instant as well. Like, I mean, you. You, you, you do train yourself to try go through, I suppose, the same sort of routine and everything like that, but. It was just, it wasn't just sort of honing in on the skill. Like you were honing in on the skill, one, with a visual impairment and two, with the goggles. Yeah. So you were almost having to do triple the amount of work for getting the uh, the skill. Of course, I was never going to say to a coach, I can't see in the rain. Yeah. Certain floodlights, if I play in the sports ground, or not even the sports ground, Rodney Parade, for anyone that's played there, the lights are slightly lower at a lower level. Right. And they're a nightmare to play with with the glare with the goggles made it that much more difficult so you were finding out everything everywhere you played you were finding out something different but you just had to work that much harder but you couldn't ever give a coach I know you had to be open and honest to a certain degree but you couldn't give away everything because otherwise if you you know if you've Italy against Scotland 2019 Six Nations I know they beat us but if the game was 2022 in Murrayfield and you have two minutes to go and out half's injured Ian we need to put you on are you going to fully put your faith in that person mm. which I can understand is a very difficult position for a coach but that's why you just tried to get rid of all those negatives associated with it and try and look at well this is what I can do with mm. them because I think if you started going with a negative attitude and saying I can't do this with the goggles then it just would never have uh, materialised and it wouldn't have you know you wouldn't have played nearly 150 games with them mm. so the nighttime issue is an issue rain is obviously an issue like there's no no window wipers in these goggles like no. if it's raining it's raining it's like best of luck uh, so how do you what, what, what are, you, are you relying on instinct for half of this I, I don't know how you're doing this really well call the forwards around the corner and a box kick from nine <laughs> okay. that's honestly the easiest way to get rid of it and if you have a good kick in 15 you just say listen just split the field and we'll always play because okay. I would be on the left side you can kick we did it with Treviso a lot split the field and just say I'll oh, just play back right and kick okay. but yeah you, it was very frustrating because you were you know playing in Twickenham and you know the first half an hour is fine then drizzle, drizzle comes and you've got Billy Vinopola that's running down your channel and you can maybe see one leg of Billy properly or a ball is passed to you and you can't catch it as you, you want to so those sort of things are hugely frustrating but I could never fall out of love with them because ultimately that's what got me there like that's what gave me the confidence to I mean it was a real love-hate relationship um, ultimately but I always had to keep reminding myself that because of them you were there on the pitch but certainly certain things were very uh, difficult and challenging and you'd be looking at the weather constantly making sure obsessively which is not you know your your process for thinking you should be thinking on performance and I did but you'd also with you know 
you'll be looking at the weather and stuff, which is not your energy is going into something that potentially shouldn't be. No, sure. Yeah. And you do say as well, like, you know, I, I can't see my inside defender quite a bit as well. So did you have to adapt? Are you are you turning your head a lot more and scanning a lot more than you would have been otherwise and, and you, making all those adaptations? You try different things or I tried different things. So my mum would always make comments when she watched me play um, at live games that it would look like you've got a fly even though one fly did actually get in during one of my preseason yeah. games, but literally you would have a fly constantly in your goggles because you're just shaking your head. Okay. And that's sort of to just scan everything yes. as much as possible. Now you can look too much, but I sort of had to, and maybe had to turn my head a little bit going up to defend. But I mean, listen, where there's a will, there's a way, but certainly things uh, were tricky. And the levels that you went up, those things were exploited a little bit more. Mightn't have been obvious, but if you miss half a step at international rugby, it's a different ball game to sure. a, a European game or a URC game. Yes, those split different. seconds of time. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a difference when you've got Johnny Sexton coming at you, Farrell, Dan Bigger, rather than, say, a URC standard, standard player, game, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm sure. Uh, but, uh, like, uh, still, I mean, in, remarkably, you kind of pull it off and you get into the Italy side and, like, your debut for Italy is just a dream. Must be a lovely memory when you're talking about the bitter person you could have become I would yeah. think memories like the memory of your Italy debut against Fiji must be like a bam over whatever it's <laughs> yes, could have but, I mean, it's a good way of putting it it really is because I suppose an Italian an ex-Italian international came in and the changing room afterwards and said you're in a very rare group who's got their first cap and actually won <laughs> their first game with Italy yeah. But no, it was it was hugely significant, I think, because it just sort of elevated everything a bit more. And it was just, it was a reward, actually, for all the hard work that had gone in for my family, friends, people who had supported. Um, mm. And it was, yeah, the icing on the cake was, was winning because, I mean, I suppose as a kid growing up, I mean, I'm looking here at a range of green jerseys here that was your dream as a kid you you well that was what my dream was and you wanted to be in Lansdowne Road meeting the president shaking the hand mm. singing our own and, and generally beating England that was the big big dream now my dream had shifted to a blue jersey I was in the south of Italy uh, singing the Itali Italian national anthem playing against the white jersey of Fiji and I couldn't have been happier yeah. or more proud and yeah listen people will argue about the residency rule and all that sort of stuff and Italy was there whenever I needed them and they gave uh, me an opportunity to play not only international uh, even though you had to work your butt off to get there but you know even Italy signing up being the first nation to sign up to the goggles and all the club stuff and taking a leap of faith I mean that's not I remember when I first played or started playing with Rugby Viadana who play in like the Eccellenza so it's like the top 10 of, of Italian club rugby and one of the SNC trainers there just said, uh, you know, I was really worried when I heard that there was a, a half blind goggle wearing out half coming from the lowest level of Italian rugby. But now that I've seen you play, I'm happy that you're here. <laughs> you know, if you're hearing the description <laughs> of it, I can imagine it is not the easiest thing no, and, and definitely a leap of faith from uh, from every team that, that signed me up. But that's what I would have hoped that performances, yeah. you know, would have meant that you were good enough to be there. Yes, that description doesn't, I suspect, spark a bidding frenzy across European rugby. <laughs> uh, we must uh, have him. <laughs> absolutely not. I don't think the French clubs will be coming looking for me anytime soon. Um, what struck me uh, in, in our limited interactions, in fairness, I wouldn't I protest, uh, I pretend that we spent hours and hours together, but even in the Virgin Studios is the 
uh, affinity you have for Italian rugby is incredibly genuine. And when that anthem is on, you're singing that anthem, and it's it's probably it, badly. <laughs> well, I can't tell. It seems okay. <laughs> Level out of tune. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, of course, naturally. Yeah, but yeah. Well, I mean, that's a rugby player's mo, isn't exactly. It? Yeah. Uh, but it's a it's a genuine affinity. It's something very real for you. It's it, it, has, it has been far more than a marriage of convenience. Yeah, absolutely. Because they they were there for me, yeah. honestly. And it's, you know, it's not a romantic thing that I'm trying to look after or go towards or anything like that. It, it, is, it is genuine. And uh, like, I'm really passionate about Italian rugby. Ireland are in a really good space. And of course, I'll always support Ireland. I mean, there's no question about that. Sure. Um, but I just, I always love underdog stories as well. Um, and Italy just always get bad press and of course when you lo- go through a 30 plus game losing streak in the Six Nations of course and I was part of those games mm-hmm. it's 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 hard and some of the games where we've sat with them Joe like have been really tough to to watch but I being there for nearly a decade I can see enough talent to make me believe that Italy can be I'm not saying a force in rugby you know in the future but can be competitive year on year in year out and I'm hugely passionate about that would love to move back uh, I'm, you know, I'm back in Ireland at the moment um, but I would never want that door to be closed because I really do um, in some ways it was a sort of a you know your your second coming and a, and, and a different life you're almost known as here in Ireland in whatever rugby circles you might meet people people maybe felt sorry for you because of what happened or what could have been now you never know what could have happened uh, another injury could have happened sure. form you just don't know but over there I was Ian McKinley the rugby player and goggles no goggles that's who I was and it was really nice feeling to be known mm. as that mm. yeah I bet it was yeah so I know you would have desperately loved to go to the World Cup in 2019 and it didn't quite happen you didn't mm-hmm. get the nod and mm-hmm. after that the the club career I guess um in the way that rugby community ruthless it was it was yeah petered out we're, almost we're moving well, on yeah, and then yeah. covid hits and then it's i guess into your second retirement and and life now is newborn son and building a house and 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 that aspiration i think to get back to italy someday and to get into coaching you're still so young i mean that's the other you're 32 yeah yeah so you know the world's your oyster still and and coaching is is on the horizon you hope yeah, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, I retired again at, at 31 and a lot of people would have said, why? Like, I mean, you have so many years ahead of you, considering you had essentially a three-year break in the middle of it as well. And yeah, it is one way to look at it. But the, the biggest thing for me was at 21, the decision was taken out of my hands. So at 31, listen, I got to experience six years with the goggles. As I said, nearly 150-odd games played with them. I got to experience the, the highs and lows. Um I was going out on my own terms. Okay, that was uh, important. Hugely important. And I didn't want a scenario where, you know, you were going to America for one year, Japan for two years, maybe you get another contract in England. And I listen, I spoke to clubs um, and, you know, just things for me just didn't didn't seem to, to fit. And I just thought that uh, I wanted to stop at the highest level I could and be at peace with that. And I really am. Even though, it was really difficult doing mm. it twice like doing it once is hard enough doing it twice it was really hard and nobody can ever prepare you you can never be prepared for it it is the hardest thing any sports person will will ever do but I feel like I've got the tools um, now at 31 to be able to do it whereas at 21 I couldn't deal with it uh, at all so I'm very much 
at peace with it. Mm. Uh, even though I miss, you miss, how can you not miss, you know, having some of your best of mates playing in and out, week in, week out. Um, miss but, that if you retired at 38 as well. Of course, yeah. So, proud? I'm very proud that there's around two and a half thousand people that are registered with the goggles. So going, apart from my story, the sort of global element of it is that I've sort of found myself involved with the visually impaired world and to still get messages from people is hugely humbling. And whenever times were tough, you'd be up playing against Ulster and you couldn't see, it was mentioning in Twickenham, bit of drizzle and you'd struggle. You'd get messages from people to say, my son, daughter, auntie, uncle, whatever is playing rugby because of what you've helped with and that's sort of the biggest um, or the, the proudest moment I suppose of all of it that goes above and beyond anything I suppose I could have done as a, as a, as a player mm. um, and I would hope that that sort of helps people and, and gives people hope and I would want people a visually impaired rugby player playing more times than nine <laughs> at international level to show that it can be done uh, and push the, the barriers the, the limits and um but I'm just very fortunate that I was able to to carry out my career, I suppose, in the way that uh, I wanted to. Okay. Our uh, rugby coverage is with thanks to Vodafone Official, sponsor of the Irish rugby team, Team of Us, Everyone In. Ian McKinley with us here in studio. The book is Second Sight, Rugby and Redemption. Pleasure as always. Joe, thanks very much as always. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us